BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi there. We're going to jump into the show here in just a second. But first, I got to talk to you about our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Now, you might have noticed that most other podcasts only present one show a week or even one show a month. But here on this show, on the Bob Seska Show, we record four shows every week for you. Or, in fact, make it six shows a week if you include the postmortem bonus shows on our Patreon page. And since we're not part of a cable news network or a fancy corporation, we rely exclusively on your support to keep producing upwards of six shows per week. And the best way to support The Bob Seska Show is to sign up for as little as $1 per month at bobseskashow.com. That's pennies per show and only $12 per year. But it goes a long way toward allowing us to keep up with the fire hose of news every day. Again, that's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Bob Seska. You really are sick. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, September 8, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, how you doing? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 230 of the Biden-Harris administration, 426 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. All right, so it's Eric Bollert Day on today's show. You might know Eric from his weekly appearances on the Stephanie Miller Show or his work for Media Matters back in the day or from his newsletter, pressrun.substack.com. I'm subscribed. Why aren't you? Links in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Today, Eric and I are going to talk about uh, something we've been discussing at length on the Tuesday and Thursday shows recently. What the hell is wrong with the press coverage of the Biden administration? And why does the news media continue to overcorrect for this myth of a liberal media bias? Meantime, if you can, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, so here comes my chat with the great Eric Bollard. Hey, you know, I've been meaning to ask you, are you in D.C.? Uh, Montclair, New Jersey. Montclair, New Jersey. Okay. Were you ever in D.C.? For some reason, I have this image of you being in Washington, D.C. No, even when I was in Media Matters, I was uh, never at Media Matters. Well, the, yeah. the reason I ask is uh, my Tuesday co-host, Buzz Burbank, used to be a news anchor on the Don and Mike show here in Washington, D.C., and it's kind of an amazing transformation I've been watching him to go through. Uh, he's been a staunch defender of the press for as long as I've known him, but this summer... He sounds more and more like you, especially oh, yeah, especially after Afghanistan. And this oh, is yeah. like he's like an old school newsman, right? He's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. carved from the old cloth, right? But to me, this speaks volumes about how the press has sunk to all new depths here, don't you think? I mean, if you've got like old school news guys going, oh yeah, yeah, it's completely fucked up out there. <laughs> yeah. Not a good sign. Yeah, I agree. No, no. But, uh, you know, I think you and I have both been uh, circulating around blogosphere 1.0, you know, going back to the Bush administration and so on for quite some time now. And as you know, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And as far as the press goes, this is a big inflection point, I think, for the news media in this country. I mean, not only was it a major shift in our politics, but a major shift in how, of course, the press covers politics. What changed in the news media in the days and weeks after 9-11? Oh, good question. It's interesting. It's it's funny that, you know, I saw some headline. There's 23 9-11 specials coming up. 
Jesus. Uh, and, um, but it's interesting from a media angle. I think for me, what stands out is uh, it turned Fox News into Fox News. Yeah. So it, Fox News launched in 96. Fox News was around for impeachment. It was around for Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and look or read the coverage, it basically was what it claimed it was going to be, which is a news, uh, you know, a news channel with a fairly open conservative spin. Yeah. So that's where you went when you wanted to get the new Newt Gingrich version of impeachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, 9-11 changed and it was in third. Uh, well, not third place, second place, far behind CNN, but uh, ahead of MSNBC, which barely existed back then. Yeah. 9-11 for Fox News changed everything. Uh, it just cut. Uh, 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 let me back up. The Florida recount really started to change things oh, at Fox yeah. News. Yeah. It really um, swallowed the Kool-Aid, steroids, went all in, declared war, really became, you know, a, um, a platform for kind of rampant lying and attacks and things like that. But that was nothing compared to 9-11 because uh, then it was able to tap into the USA. You know, Democrats are the fifth column. Democrats love terrorists. Uh, Tom Daschle was a terrorist sympathizer. I remember that specifically. <laughs> yeah. you know, 2002. We're going way back. God. This was like 2002. Uh, so, and Fox News' ratings went through the roof, and Fox has literally never trailed CNN since, <laughs> through, you know, six weeks after 9 11. And then you had the Iraq War, which just basically doubled Fox News' ratings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, to me, Looking back, you know, I thought for the 9-11 stuff up until the Iraq war. So if you go from if you go September um, from September 01 to March of 03, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I thought the press did a fairly okay job um, covering lots of important issues. Uh, But then it kind of lost its mind with with the run up to the Iraq war. So I'll, I'll abbreviate that. I'll say for a year, maybe September 01 to September 02. Uh, it was a huge story to cover, uh, and I thought I think they did a pretty good job of it. You know, Eric, I feel like part of the coverage of Afghanistan had a lot to do with, especially the cable news media, trying to save face after kind of cheerleading in a full-throated way uh, the beginning of that war. And whether that's justified or not justified, the fact of the matter is, th- now we're here, and I feel like they, to a certain extent, the news media, and especially the television news media, owned the beginning of the war on terror uh, through, as you were saying, Iraq and so on. And the only reason, or one of the only reasons why they've been covering it the way they've been covering it for the past month or so is because of that, because they are so inextricably bound to cheerleading on the, the early days of the war on terror. Am I way off base on this, or is that something that you've kind of been observing too? Yeah, I think, yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think they've been lied to and misled by military planners regarding Afghanistan for 20 years. And and then they still went back to all those people and said, tell us why Joe Biden's wrong, (laughs) which they were which they were happy to do. Uh, You think at some point after 20 years, you know, the press might take some of these people's word uh, not so seriously. But I think to your point, I guess I would tie it even I, I would tie it closer to the Iraq war. So the Afghanistan war was lost in 2003 when Bush said we're going to invade Iraq and he diverted all those troops and resources and time and attention that had been focused on Afghanistan and focused all of that virtually on this ridiculous preemptive $3 trillion fiasco war. So the press sponsored the Iraq war. The Iraq war uh, committed the United States to a um, to um, defeat in Afghanistan. So to your point, fast forward to, you know, the summer of uh, 2021, I think, I think, I think maybe less the press didn't want to talk about it. It's Afghanistan coverage and mm-hmm. how it owned it way back when in the war on terror. I think it didn't want to talk about its Iraq war coverage I see, yeah. um, and, and, and how they essentially sponsored that war, whether it was, whether it was Washington post or Judith Miller at the New York times, uh, Bush never could have uh, marketed that war without the help of the mainstream media. And again, the Iraq war cemented uh, uh, an American defeat in Afghanistan. The press this summer wanted to pretend all that was quite shocking 
you know, we were on the precipice of some victory, or if not on the precipice of a victory, of a orderly, friendly, re, you know, evacuation. We were going to shake hands with the Taliban at half court, and everyone was going to tip their cap, and you know that that was never going to happen. And we can talk more about the awful Afghanistan coverage last month. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, yes, of course, I think they wanted, you know, I think they wanted to play dumb about their role uh, in that war, in the in the in the Iraq war. Uh, because um, they they did kind of get us to where we are today. What's the bleeds it leads uh, narrative? Yes. It's it's the whole concept of, well, on one hand, it's terrible that we were attacked and now we're getting into this war, but hey, ratings are great, so why not press forward? And I think to an extent, that's what kind of drove uh, this past summer the, uh, as you called it, the doomsday narrative. Uh, with regard to uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, what, in your estimation, has been driving that? Is that just more of the overcompensation for the liberal media bias trope? Or what What, what drove the over-the-top ridiculousness yeah. that we've been seeing for the past month or so? Yeah, and the weirdly personal, antagonistic coverage towards yeah, Biden. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and again, just real quick, the previous president <laughs> lied to the press Every day for four years, mm -hmm. called them morons, uh, you know, tried to de demolish the trust in the free press. And as I talked, you know, as I mentioned, the press seemed more upset personally at Biden over a logistics failure in Afghanistan than they ever were with Trump, who literally, uh, well, figuratively, uh, just spat in their face for four years. So it was very, very strange. Uh, a, a very personal and visceral reaction, um, really angry at Biden. Um, I think when the press thinks Democrats aren't being competent, it drives them nuts, whereas a Republican never even has to be competent. I mean, my God, Bush was incompetent. Trump defined incompetence. Uh, the, um, the, the Afghanistan freakout under Biden reminded me of the media freak out when Obamacare website didn't work for three days. <laughs> yeah. Remember? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh my God, that led the news and it was, people were losing their minds. How can mm -hmm. this website not work? And so I think there's this weird, uh, again, when the press sees a democratic president is not being able to, um, you know, deliver kind of form and function. They kind of lose their minds, but they don't hold the Republicans to that standard no, no. at all. But but back to Afghanistan. Uh, look, you know, the press has, had been quite open that Biden was a boring to cover. Uh, covering an infrastructure and negotiation is not what any of these people signed up for for the entire <laughs> year of 2021. That's true, yeah. They they missed they missed the Trump circus. They missed being the center of attention. They missed. Uh, Yes, they missed the ratings and the clicks, but they also missed just, uh, you know, constant news. You know, mm -hmm. this Biden White House, there hasn't been a single leak. There hasn't been a single behind the back insult. We have it's just a complete, you know, it's back to the no drama Biden, you know, no drama Obama. This is how Democrats run the federal government. Mm -hmm. The press is not happy with it because they got a glimpse of how fun and exciting and controversial it could be when Trump was president. So my point is Afghanistan dropped this unexpected blockbuster story uh, and the press went with it. And, and, and the press viewed it through the prism of politics, just like they viewed the COVID through the prism of politics. So rather than covering as a national security or foreign policy story, they covered as, it as a beltway, who's up, who's down, who's winning, who, who's losing. Mm -hmm. And of course, re, and of course, Republicans were quite happy and eager to tell everyone who, who was losing. Uh, and that was Biden. So um, that's how it that's how it started. Uh, the odd part was when the facts on the ground changed and shifted dramatically, the media refused to change course. The media refused to change its narrative that the evacuation was a disaster, it was a debacle, it was a humiliation. Um, in the end, it was probably one of the most extraordinary evacuations in military history. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, the New York Times is still calling Biden incompetent. So uh, early on, they, they went all in on this was gonna be a debacle. They went all in 
uh, you know, CNN announced they could never evacuate 50,000 people. Uh, and then when they did, rather than shift and say, hey, Biden regroup, Biden is competent, Biden shows, you know, just like the uh, vaccine rollout, he, he can make government function. Uh, they refused to do that. And, and, th and they remained, you know, kind of all in mm -hmm. on this doomsday, you know, the doomsday narrative. And, yeah. you know, obviously when the, you know, you know, when ISIS, uh, the terror attack struck, that was obviously a huge, huge story that demanded attention. But previous to that, you know, the, the, the press really just parked on this Kabul airport checkpoint story for like 12 straight days. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to see how that was a 12 day straight story. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to what you were saying too, about how uh, I think the news media expects the Democrats to be more competent and expects the Republicans by contrast to be completely incompetent or maybe not completely yeah. incompetent, but to a certain degree incompetent. Why isn't there some sort of word that gets out to the public along those lines? Like, this is the prism through which we're observing these news stories. We expect the Democrats yeah. to be the grown-ups in the room, and so we're going to hold them to that standard. At the very least, leak something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Get the word out that that's what's driving maybe our more stringent than usual coverage of the Democrats as compared to the Republicans. I don't know why that can't be a thing. I don't know why they can't somehow get the word out that that's their motive. It would certainly alleviate yeah. a lot of uh, pissy, uh, pissy people on uh, social media right now. Yeah, who are, exactly. Yeah. The, you and I combined. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah. That would be uh, helpful. But look, they, they, they can't because from their perspective, Republicans are always super savvy. Republicans are always uh, two steps ahead of Democrats. Mm. Republicans know how the beltway works. Democrats don't really understand the culture, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They've even tried to apply that to Biden, who has literally been in the beltway for 50 years. Um, so there, there's a lot of these games that are played, right? Uh, and uh, in, in order to maintain a narrative, uh, one of the absolute central narratives is uh, the Republican Party is a center-right party, and the Democratic Party is a center-left party, and and they they're enjoined in battle, and they're mere opposites of the other. And gosh darn it, sometimes we have gridlock and dysfunction, <sighs> but that's just because uh, you know they're, they they occupy similar spots on the spectrum. Yeah. Now, of course, the reality is, particularly now, if you look at death threats at school board meetings and fistfights and this kind of this QAnon movement uh, in terms of local politics and this anti-mask um, uh, hysteria, the conservative movement is not a center-right movement. Yeah, they're, they're suppressing votes. They're outlawing choice. I mean, but the press is still wants to view everything through this very convenient prism of uh, of center-right, center-left. Republic. The press just absolutely does not want to. This has been true since the Obama years, does not want to document uh, how radical and dangerous the Republican Party and the conservative movement is, even at his, even at it, as it clearly embraces authoritarianism, flirts with fascism, all that stuff. Uh, they're just getting a free ride. And we're and, and, and the Beltway Press is just whistling, you know, whistling into the coal mines. And 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 it's not, it's not, we're not going to a good place. I guess the simple way to say it, they just refuse to ring these alarm bells. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll, okay, yeah, some pundits and, uh, you know, um, talking heads and columnists, but in the straight news coverage, they just refuse. I mean, text, this Texas law, um, you, you know, the voter restriction, voter re suppression, I, I, I'll, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can find one mainstream uh, news outlet that uses the term voter suppression yeah. while, while discuss in, in an article about voter suppression. The New York Times, you know, claimed, you know, couldn't, couldn't, it, it list in the article today, listed 10 traits of this bill, but it wouldn't call it voter suppression. And it left it to it, you know, it went and got a quote from a Democrat who, who called it voter suppression. Uh, so it's it's things like that that allow the Republican Party and conservatives to get away with it, no matter how fanatical and dangerous, they, they are literally killing themselves 
in order not to get a safe and effective vaccine, mm-hmm. um, and, and and the press will not really um, talk about this maniacal movement that that's threatening our democracy right now. Yeah, and we've all been observing, Eric, including uh, cable news media, the print press, everyone in between. And we've all been observing how our politics has gone through a, a massive paradigm shift in terms yes. of the dynamics of how we do politics yeah. in this country. Why can't they change the script? Yeah. Why are they oh. still operating on a script that seems to only apply maybe to the 90s? I mean, that's being right, generous, right, right. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, there were days at the height of Trump insanity, and you could literally just pick any bizarre story that was in the news. And you'd read the Washington Post coverage of it, and, and you would think Mitt Romney were president, or you'd think, <laughs> yeah. you'd think John McCain, you'd, you'd think John McCain were president. Mm. I mean, just an absolute refusal. So your point is a good one. You know, the um, the the blueprint that the Beltway Press has used, and they've used it for 50 years, and, and they feel like it has worked. Trump came in, blew up everything, blew up every tradition, blew up every protocol, ignored every guideline of common sense and decency. And the press responded by basically doing nothing. Mm-hmm. There were, they wouldn't even call him a liar. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even call him a racist. They stuck to the, you know, they continue to stick to these antiquated rules and guidelines. Yeah. Uh, and the Republican Party knows what's going on and they're just running rampant and they know you know, they won't get called out for any of this. So, but to answer your question, why? Uh, the big one is the, you know, the fear of liberal media bias charge yeah. and, and, and the fear of the right-wing attacks and, and, and the mobs uh, and the press is, oh, going back to Biden and Afghanistan real quick. The press is always looking for a way to prove it's not part of the liberal media. Yeah. So the press can, you know, turn to the right wing and say, oh, you thought we were tough on Trump. OK, well, maybe we were, maybe we weren't. Watch what we're going to do to Biden for the next 12 days. Uh, and, and that is a very powerful, motivating factor. Yeah. And that's the old script. That's yes. what's driving that narrative. The the overcompensation, the overcorrection yes. for the liberal media bias trope. And the thing is that, uh, you know, they're never going to convince Red Hat Republicans (laughs) ever, ever, ever that MSNBC is an acceptable outlet for news or CNN, for that matter. They're never going to be accepted by the Red Hats ever, 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 no matter what they do, no matter how many former Republicans they hire for their day parts. It's never going to happen. But they keep doing it. And that's what's completely baffling to me, among many other things is why they're latched on, they're grappled onto this old idea that if we bring in some very serious center-right Republicans, then, oh my God, all the red hats are going to be okay with us again. And that's never going to happen, is it? Yeah, and there's another element as well within the DC media. It's also just seen as being super savvy to do it yourself. So even if you realize you're never going to convince your conservative audience that you know you're not part of the problem, just to signal among your colleagues, to your bosses, to your editors and producers around town, uh, being, you know, quote, tough on a Democrat or, or, or really throwing a high, high, hard fastball that, that's, you know, not justified and isn't really supported by the facts. That scene is, you know, uh, you know, a mark of success. And that's that scene is being, you know, kind of daring and, 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 and things like that. So it's it's not just to fend off uh, the re- Republicans and conservatives. It's also a way to boost your own career and boost your own credentials yeah. and, and, and being seen as independent and all that nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, going back to Afghanistan real quick, uh, Biden apparently is now suffering from nightmare numbers, right? After, <laughs> right after the cable news spent uh, a month talking about how, uh, Biden was enduring a nightmare or responsible for a nightmare in Kabul. It seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't oh, yeah, it? Yeah, right, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so his numbers are down probably six points in the month of August. Mm. Uh, obviously, no sitting president wants to have their approval rating down six points in any single month, let alone yeah. a year. So there's no denying that they went down. Uh, but yeah, there is a certain... And, and the press seemed, again, very oddly happy and 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 i think uh i think they've kind of patted themselves on the back 
and you know oh we said it was a disaster and america listened and you know we (laughs) we still have sway and this white house thinks they can do things without us but if we set our attention on them you know there's a price to pay Mm. um but you know in this nightmare numbers you know what basically biden's at 46 percent which is basically the highest Trump ever got. Four years ago right now, late August 2017, Trump was at 33, 34%. I don't remember a lot of Sunday morning hand-wringing about Trump's nightmare numbers. What, what, what was the conversation then? The conversation was, oh, well, his numbers aren't good, but his base loves him. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the Republican base. Oh, the Democratic base, if you look at the numbers now, arguably loves Joe Biden more than the Republican base ever loved Donald Trump. How many articles are you reading now? Oh, well, Biden's numbers are down, but oh, Democrats love him. How does he have this magical, you know, uh, allure of the Democratic Party? How is he, you know? <laughs> so there's there's a kind of a nifty double standard there. But, um, you know, if, if, if Afghanistan was the defining collapse, you know, the teetering event of the Biden presidency, you know, he'd be at 38, 39 percent. I suspect three of those six points probably has to do with COVID. Uh, I doubt all six points have to do with Afghanistan. And if you look at COVID, you know, Biden is basically getting blamed for a radical right wing minority that refuses to get vaccinated in this country. The problem that I see with the behavior of the press, certainly cable news media, continuing to adapt this same script over and over again, is that it doesn't seem to me as if they realize, and this goes for the hosts, the editors, the executive producers, and on down the line, they don't seem to realize that Biden and the Democratic Party are the only things standing between us and this Trump fascist idiocracy that is surely going to rise up, especially if they end up with a trifecta at the federal level. And it doesn't seem like they're even acknowledging the fact that, yeah, while they're doing this bit where they're, you know, for whatever reason, holding Biden accountable for Afghanistan, I don't, do they understand that by damaging Biden, they're, you know, in the long term, they're manifesting the next rise of Trump or a Trump copycat. Well, I think they would say, well, it's not our job to protect a Democrat. You know, our job is to, you know, totally unvarnished truth. But to your larger point, uh, no, uh, you, you could tell all through the Trump years and you can still tell now, even as his followers become more demented and unhinged. Yeah. Uh, the, speaking generally, the, the, you know, the elite D.C. media feels it is completely detached, unaffected by anything that uh, the Trump movement would do. And, you know, uh, a lot of those people made a lot of money during the Trump years. Yeah. I mean, if if you covered the White House and you did not get a six figure Trump book deal, you were in the minority. Mm. Uh, And so I think I, I think some of them absolutely would not mind a Trump, too. They know it would be good for business. But to your point, I don't think they No, I don't think they think fascism is a real thing. I think they think that's, you know, overheated liberal rhetoric, authoritarianism. <laughs> well, not really. Uh, and, and, and I think they live in such a bubble uh, that uh, they're perfectly willing to kind of roll the dice uh, because they don't think any of that will affect them. But to your point, Oh my gosh! It clearly, yeah. <laughs> if they if they thought Trump was had his eye on the media the first time, uh, I, I can't even imagine what he would try to do uh, with a Trump too. Oh yeah, this isn't a hypothetical construct. I don't know why no, there's any mystery to this. I mean, we've seen what I, Trump it, and his party are capable of, right? I mean, so why the frivolous attitude? It seems completely uh, self defeating and suicidal almost. Yeah, I mean, just like what happened, you know, what happens in Hungary, Hungary and Poland and Brazil. I mean, as you say, this is not hypothetical, but they don't you know, they don't they don't see any foreign, you know, analogy or comparison. Yeah. Uh, Trump is just, you know, he's an eccentric businessman. And yes, you know, he might have thought, you know, the election was rigged, but they're still not still not ringing the alarm bells. Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, if and when, you know, the New York Times on Thursday had this breathless piece and you know when is trump going to announce if he's going to run again um you know if he does he will he will be covered as you know a conventional republican 
um, candidate, even though, for instance, we have reports that I doubt his wife will ever agree to be seen with him in public again unless she gets paid more, um, which would be quite an unusual circumstance for any yeah. candidate. But if that happens, uh, the, the press will just shrug uh, and, and pretend it doesn't matter, even though during the 90s they couldn't sleep at night wondering about the state of the Clinton marriage. Um, so th they'll just continue to make, you know, carve out a new room for him and normalize him, even though, you know, he's going to he, he'll probably run again, even though he oversaw an insurrection and tried emphatically without pause to overthrow an American election. They will treat him as a mainstream uh, presidential candidate. You know what? They are absolutely committed to that. All right. Quick break. We'll be back with more Eric Bollert right after these words. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Bob Seska Show. I, again, I'm not opposed to holding leadership accountable, irrespective of what party they belong to. Yeah, my, right. my issue is when they take one Democratic scandal and amplify it to the same level of coverage as the myriad, uh, say, for example, Trump scandals. So, you right, take, like, yeah, I mean, imagine if Elizabeth Warren had been the nominee. And Elizabeth Warren was running on the Democratic ticket. The quote unquote Pocahontas thing would have risen to the same level of coverage as all of the Trump things combined. That's how you get to that 50-50, you know, alleged balance in the news, is to amplify the Democratic scandals, the minimal Democratic scandals, in this case, Elizabeth Warren, or for that matter, Joe Biden with his son, Hunter Biden. Yeah. You elevate that to the same level as the whatever it was, as we were all covering the fire hose of news, a thousand yeah, exactly. things per day by Donald Trump. That's what drives me up a goddamn wall with this kind of coverage. Like, what what on earth do you think you're doing by amplifying this? What is the motive there? What do you think the outcome is going to be? Because it's not yeah, going to be a positive outcome. Oh, I don't think they care about the outcome. And and I, and I think they say, oh, we're, we're just here to document. I mean, what mm. they're doing, I mean, they're they're desperate for content. Yeah. Uh, and that was true, particularly through the spring and summer when Biden was doing well, the vaccine rollout was doing well, his poll numbers were, were high, uh, the, the, the federal government was running, uh, com particularly compared to Trump, was running like a well-oiled machine. Uh, they were not happy, and, and, and they made it known, and so now they feel like uh, it's not quite back to, you know, it's not back to the Trump you know, circus. Yeah. But Afghanistan certainly gave them a, a, a crisis footing that they liked. Well, here's kind of the opposite of the same dynamic, Eric. Uh, you posted on your Substack, pressrun.substack.com, about how Chuck Todd and how America is hopelessly divided over COVID. This new meme from Chuck Todd, like, oh, okay, I guess it's, you know, it's 50 50, it's this side versus that side. Yeah, it's yeah, perfectly yeah. even. They're clashing heads. Uh, but this is a great example of how cable news manufactures this even-steven kind of balance when there really isn't any. I mean, most Americans support COVID protocols, but the the opposition is artificially amplified to create this kind of 50-50 balance. It always happens this way. And as I said, it's the reverse, right? They're, where they're downplaying the supermajority support for COVID protocols while, right. while amplifying the opposition to all of that. It's it's just an amazing thing when you uh, are a member of the media, whether you're just a rank and file journalist or an executive producer or an editor, you have to live in the world. I mean, you see this, you know, point blank, whether you have children uh, in, who are going to school right now or, you know, a, a friend or a relative who's died of COVID because of the lack of protocols during the previous administration. I don't see how they can possibly, this is kind of a trite thing to say, I don't see how they can sleep at night, Eric. Yeah. No, I mean, Paul Krugman had a good tweet the other day. He was he was uh, responding to 
some of the COVID coverage, et cetera. And he says, it's amazing how in, in the coverage, Republican is, is basically never mentioned. And, and I tweeted about this front page piece, uh, I think it was Monday or Sunday, New York Times. Oh, America is struggling with the, with the surge. We all thought by Labor Day we were done, quoting all these people uh, and quoting lots of doctors. And, and there wasn't one sentence about it, the, that the Delta surge was driven by right-wing fanatics who refused to get vaccinated. Yep. You would think it just, you know, it just happened. This is just happening. It's the hand of God. You know, it's a, it's a cruel twist of fate. We thought we were done in June and July. And then, gosh darn it, here comes the spike. Well, it happened because Republican governors are essentially pro-COVID. And the Republican Party under Trump was pro-COVID for a year. And now we've got these lunatics and fanatics and maniacs, uh, like I said before, threatening school board members and, and, and doing things like that. There is no other country on the planet trying to recover from COVID where you have a major political party teaming up with a billion dollar media complex trying to prolong the pandemic. I mean, people were laughing at Canada the spring and summer because they didn't have enough vaccines, uh, and and you know, uh, you know, the and it was an it was an embarrassment for the country. You look at it now, <laughs> Canada doesn't have a Fox News. Right. Canada doesn't have this demented evangelical QAnon movement that's stopping vaccines. They're now at eighty percent. They're doing fine. Lots of countries are doing just fine. Biden has to fight this with basically one hand tied behind his back. We all know that this would be over right now if it weren't for these absolute zealots who are taking horse medicine instead of taking a free and effective vaccine. You could, If you wrote this script five years ago, there weren't 10 people in America that would believe that there would be this large of a, a, a faction of stupidity in this country. Mm -hmm. But Trump unleashed something, QAnon unleashed something, Fox News has unleashed something. Uh, but And it is one of the most stunning chapters in American history. But if you read the coverage of COVID, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, you would just think all of this just happened. There are Nobody is really responsible for it. You know, there just happens to be 48,000 deaths in Florida. There just happened to be 57,000 deaths in Vietnam. But no, you know, Republicans aren't to blame. The conservative movement isn't to blame. Uh, and that is just continues to be. And if there is blame, it's basically Biden's blame. Yeah. Uh, and 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 because he, you know, he didn't he didn't, pro you know, he promised he was going to get it done and he, and he didn't. Uh, but very little comment in the coverage of who is fueling uh, this man-made COVID surge in America. Where do you land, Eric, on the uh, the concept of covering people like Donald Trump, uh, keeping his name in the news when there's something obviously valid to write about? Um, is that empowering him in some way? I mean, there's a school of thought that believes if we talk about Donald Trump, it's going to somehow make him more popular than he already is. Or, you know, sort of my school of thought, which is that he's the leader of the Republican Party and he's probably going to run for president again. We need to keep an eye on what he's saying and doing, irrespective of how fucking crazy it is. Right. Where, where do you land on that divide? Are you somewhere in between? Well, I, th I think the great news is, you know, he has no platforms. I mean, can yeah. you imagine what 2021 would be like if he still had 80 million Twitter followers, <laughs> views on Facebook and yeah. every not only the hatred that he would spew, but every hatred, every tweet would be typed up as breaking news and yeah. they'd run to the White House and say, so that's a godsend. For the record, Twitter should have banned him in 2019, yep. at, at least probably 2018, just because he. You know, he violated the terms of uh, terms of service used from day one. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think it's fine. I think it's fine to cover him. If you look back, you know, we're in September of this year. If you look back for this whole year, I can't think of three things he's done that have been of note or of interest or of importance. I think I think even most people in the Republican Party are probably scratching their heads. Uh, I remember all that comical um talk in the media oh he was going to start a media empire oh he was good this is the laziest guy you've ever met in your life the idea that he was going to start some 
He was going to start some corporation from ground zero. He was going to whip up funding. He was going to mm-hmm. go out and meet investor. Oh, give me a break. He's, he's, he's come on. So in that, in that regard, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he had that rally in Alabama, which was, I don't even know if Fox covered it, but it, it, it's a very strange, it's a very strange situation. He clearly would be the nominee if he wants to run uh, and not, e- not even close. But at the same time, I, you know, I, it, it, I mean, obviously we're not the target demo, but do you get a sense that there's like this massive groundswell, you know, that he's got to run again and he's got to be president? I mean, obviously it's a cult of personality. He runs this cult, but he doesn't really do anything. I guess yeah. they don't care if he doesn't do anything. But uh, real quick, again, I think most of the Republican Party is just slightly baffled and scratching their heads at how little he's done, how little work he's done, how how little interest he seems to have in anything. And yet the entire party, Republican Party is at his beck and call and nobody, nobody can dream about being president uh, from the GOP if he's still around. Well, one thing he has done, Eric, is he certainly exposed a huge loophole in how we cover politics in this country, specifically the fire hose of news. Uh, I think Trump and the people around Trump have determined that, and this especially goes for guys like Steve Bannon. I mean, they have determined that the press can only handle a certain amount of news, and anything that doesn't get funneled into the news exists without any accountability or acknowledgement whatsoever and it's just allowed to flourish in this ether of social media in fact you'd be hard-pressed to find a story right now about something that happened prior to COVID and prior to the insurrection in particular nothing else that trump did for the previous three years is really getting any sort of attention even in the liberal press the legitimately liberal press it just seems like that's a big goddamn loophole a big gap in how we cover politics in this country that can very easily be exploited if you pump enough bullshit into the system into the atmosphere it's not going to get the coverage that it would normally get if it was just a couple of things right yeah, I, I, I mentioned, you know, the, the press parking on the Afghanistan Kabul airport checkpoint story for, you know, a week and a half. You know, I don't think they parked on any Trump story for two weeks and, and he got impeached twice. And again, because of what you said, you know, you you know, the hate tweets, the controversy, the his comments, the open corruption, the criminality, uh, they didn't have time for it. So in a way, Biden got penalized because he doesn't churn out this idiocy, yeah. uh, he, you know, the, the press didn't really have to worry about nine different breaking stories during those 12 days. One other back to Trump real quick. Um, uh, I don't think he can be president without Twitter. I, I really don't. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be incredibly hard. You know, he's got his 32%. It's going to be incredibly hard for him to communicate to the country. Uh, and I, I think people are underestimating what not being not having a social media platform means to him. Uh, Joe Biden can do it. He doesn't even he doesn't even tweet. I mean, he does, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think people are underestimating what a massive uh, hole in in Trump's arsenal that's going to be. OK, back with more show right after these messages. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Bob Seska Show. How dangerous is the uh, Red Hat Entertainment Complex? The entire universe of guys like Dan Bongino and Ben Shapiro, and now I guess Joe Rogan's kind of sliding his way in there. Even to a certain extent, uh, Bill Maher has stuck one toe into the uh, the Red Hat side of the ledger here in the press. How, where does this go, Eric? How does this end up uh, ultimately uh, playing out uh, as far as its influence on American voters? Is it something that's going to expand as time goes on, or have we seen the, you know, peak Red Hat Entertainment Complex? Or well, I mean, what's what's happening? What's going to happen the, into the uh, uh, near future? It's hard to say. You know, you always wonder if these people are um, preaching to the converted or they're actually in the process of converting people. Look, in the short term, you know, Ben Shapiro and all these other people, uh, Joe Rogan, you know, anti-vaxxer, you know, big, you know, big, obviously a massive Spotify following. 
the short term, they're going to get more people killed and they're going to prolong the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of these, everyone you mentioned is just absolutely bonkers awful in terms of uh, the, the public health crisis, you know, rhetoric and all of this stuff. Uh, but long term, it, it's hard to say, but uh, there's so much money. I mean, people yeah. don't even understand how much money there is in the in the conservative movement. Uh, they, they, they've got so many billionaires looking to spend uh, and, and people don't even know what to do with the Steve Bannons of the world and the Ben Shapiro's. And I mean, all of the, all of these people, I mean, they are just tapped into these pipelines that literally spew out money. And so it's a massive incentive <laughs> to, yeah. is my point either to join it. Uh, and, and, you know, we see kind of more boomerang folks, you know, going over their full force, uh, cause man, it pays, it pays yeah. really well. Uh, and there's such the, the right-wing infrastructure within the beltway compared to the liberal infrastructure. I mean, it's like, it's basically a hundred to one. If you're talking oh, yeah. about think, yeah. think tanks and, and, and research, uh, places and, and, and funded media. I mean, it's, people have no idea how much money, but I, I think most people don't really understand how much money is just floating around yeah. uh, the right wing movement. And there's no real way to gauge the reach of this uh, right wing entertainment complex. There's no real right in, way to know, because as we've seen in the past, for example, it kind of started with uh, uh, books where they were bulk buying books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's really easy to buy shares, likes, uh, you know, oh, every, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. on social media. You can buy your reach for social media if you've got enough money to spend. And plus, uh, with the entire universe of right-wing podcasts, like I, I noticed in one vertical, I think it was the news commentary vertical on Apple Podcasts, where I think 17 of the top 20 podcasts on that vertical were all, yes. you know, like Ben Shapiro types. Oh, and, and I realized, oh, that's right. They can also buy downloads for podcasts. <laughs> so it's, well, I mean, it's I hard to know. I think it's legit. I mean, I yeah. think they have the numbers. If you if we're constantly looking at, you know, the most popular uh, um, posts on Facebook, mm -hmm. I mean, someday Shapiro has 17 out of 20. I mean, you know, or, yeah. or weeks or whatever. I mean, it's mind boggling. Uh, and so I think, unfortunately, I think those numbers are real. Well, it doesn't seem like it's going to go anyplace good. But I mean, the thing that I am always debating with myself about is, what is the bigger negative influence on American voters? Is it this far-right entertainment that you get all across the AM radio dial, certainly with older voters, uh, Fox News Channel, OAN, Newsmax, all of the web presences and so on, the podcasts? Is that the real enemy, or does it continue to be the mainstream press, the traditional print and television news media? I'm constantly debating as to which side of that is doing more damage. Yeah, I think that I think the answer is both, right? So, uh, you know, when I, I was in Media Matters for a long time, and Media yeah. Matters was literally invented yeah. because of the right wing information, misinformation, and lies is dangerous, but it's more dangerous when it seeps in to the New York Times and it seeps mm -hmm. into CBS News. And originally, that was the real reflection point was to call out when the mainstream press ended up uh, parroting uh, conservative misinformation. Yeah. But my gosh, it is just rampant. And, I, and I'll give you a quick example. New York Times did this utterly ridiculous uh, piece over the weekend uh, that Joe Biden was grieving too much for his son uh, and, and people didn't like it. This was after he met with families of some of the uh, soldiers killed in Afghanistan and they came out and said nasty things about him. And they said they talked about Bo too much. These were people just for the record who were obviously not, you know, basically Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. uh, but the right wing media jumped on this thing. Oh, Biden is grieving. Oh, it's so phony. Biden needs to shut up. And within 12 hours, the New York Times had assigned and written the story that just completely parroted uh, this moronic uh, narrative from National Review that Joe Biden, after following a president who was an absolute certified sociopath, <laughs> yeah. they hit him for being too empathetic or or trying to express too much empathy. And people just wanted him to stop talking about his dead son. So it it it, it the the piece was just breathtakingly stupid. Uh they put it on the front page. Uh but it's a perfect example of this really dangerous cross-pollinization that's still at work. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas um 
leaders of the elite media are still taking their signals um, from the far right press. Because uh, as I always say, you know, every news cycle starts with the simple premise of what are Republicans angry about today? <laughs> and, and, and yeah. Every, Everything else flows from that, and mm. in, in, it's it's like clockwork. Yeah, it really, really is. And you know, on my worst days, Eric, I my my friend Ches Pazienza, who we lost back in 2017, uh, used to say this all the time, and I often repeat it uh, on my darkest days: is uh, bring back the gatekeepers and the press. You know, the <laughs> old days of the three networks and the network news yeah, right? anchors and all that, the Walter Cronkites of the world. Is there a way for democracy, cable news, and social media to successfully coexist into the future? Uh, yeah, but it's really tough. I mean, yeah. the, you know, not to use a cliche, but I mean, that toothpaste is out of the tube. Yep. And um, it, it, it's it's really difficult because there's so much economic pressure. Uh, and, and I think Trump showed what works on the economic side. Uh, and there's a temptation. Look, you know. Trump, you know, even as much as we criticize the New York Times, they look back at Trump and say, hey, those were the best four years of our lives. I mean, our digital <laughs> subscriptions went through the roof. We have nothing to learn from the Trump years other than it was great for business. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, there's not a lot of self-reflection going on. Uh, and, and, you know, and Trump unleashed so many awful forces in this country and and many of them have to do with the media yeah yeah well exploiting the weaknesses of the media i mean that was one of the biggest ones and the press still just ate it all up not even realizing seemingly what was being done to their integrity uh to uh i guess what remained of their integrity at that point uh to their credibility it was incredible to watch that day to day watching him just beat the living shit out of the press and they were just continuing to eat it up and accept it as if it was as you said as if it was Mitt Romney saying all of these things yeah, yeah. just a, a remarkable thing to observe such bizarre and str stressful times I have to say uh, the newsletter is called pressrun.substack.com I've been a subscriber from the very very beginning and what are you people waiting for anyway? Go subscribe right now. Links in the description under this episode at bobsuska.com and uh, on my Patreon at bobsuskashow.com. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me today and especially for continuing to be a juggernaut for democracy. It is well appreciated, very much so. Oh, I appreciate it. Anytime. Have a great one. Thanks so much, Eric. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>